0: talking bay 94 the star wars podcast devoted interviews with the cast crew and creators of a galaxy far far away i'm your host brandon Winerdy, and today i'm talking to sandy doyvetter artist musician and communicator who is affectionately known as mama fett mrs Vetter was tasked with the painting of the original boba fett costumes and added so many of the details we've come to know and love from the bounty hunter including the wookie braids and so much more mrs doyvetter is such a delight and is a wonderful storyteller and you all are gonna really love this episode this is Talking Bay 94, episode 124, Sandy Vetter. Before even diving into Star Wars and diving into to all of your work, I'd love to start with all my guests at the beginning and their early childhood and their inspirations and And growing up, what was inspiring to you?
1: Well, I I would have to say my father, first of all, being Flemish, a cabinet builder, could really work with his hands, designed homes, built them from scratch, really. He was 50 when I was born. So I had older parents, but they were very creative. They were entrepreneurs. My dad really brought me into the art world early. But at six, my mother said, what kind of an instrument would you like to play? Because I was really being raised by myself as my sisters were older and out the door really by then. So I chose the accordion because my brother-in-law, who I was born on his 25th birthday, he played an accordion and I adored him. I started taking lessons at six and I never stopped really till I was a teenager. I was lucky that my parents encouraged me to compete. I started competing in fourth, fifth grade. And I think that made me strong, made me have, and I think was really so important, is to have a a good feeling about myself, to feel like I was worth being me. (laughs) And a lot of kids, that's hard on them. You know, when you grow up and you think, am I worthy is, you know, guilt or whatever. And my parents really raised me in a way to love me, myself.
0: As you grew older, and as you went to school, and as you began to kind of formalize training in, in your art and illustration, what were you learning and growing within? And what, again, inspiration-wise, were you drawing from for your own artistic output?
1: I was always influenced by the artists that were really relevant at the time. I looked for pop art. I looked at all the kinds of things that were exciting. Concert posters things like that that were really interesting to me. Through that I started just drawing and then when I got to college that's what I studied is illustration and then when I graduated I had ended up with a teaching degree, teaching art K through 12. Then I started influencing young people although we were only like 5 years apart. You know, I was 22, they were 15-16. But at the same time, you know, I was older and I had a little bit more experience. As I grew into this, I read the LA Times a lot. The Sunday LA Times is really important to me. I would look at the people who were making a difference. And I always thought, wow, that is so cool. That really influenced me. It's just reading about people, couples, whoever they were, that were really you know, having something that they believed in and running with it. And with my art, I really wanted to be an artist. And I told my principal and he asked me to stay a little longer, and I did. But at the end of the day, I really wanted to do my own work, even though I love teaching. But as it turns out, I went to San Francisco from Los Angeles, where I was born and raised, just started peddling my work. Well, I'd love to
0: talk about that jump from teaching to then today Adrian productions and your early work and how you grew within that professional setting and then how you ended up getting involved with Lucasfilm
1: before Empire with More American Graffiti and Daydream and then as that progressed. Daydream Productions was the really the first company that I had. I was a co-owner of it. Vance Lorenzini was also an artist. We worked together. We did a lot of stuff, a lot of work. And I as an illustrator, you know, I could really capture whatever anybody was thinking. So we were showing our portfolios everywhere and we got the opportunity to do some work on more American graffiti. We did designs for race cars, for all the different art that needed to be seen on the set. Flyers, I drew a lot of pot leaves, the things that, you know, were really relevant at the time. The guy who did, oh, keep on trucking, I always forget his name, but he had that big foot out. Well, what they wanted me to do is they wanted me to reproduce all of that, which I always thought was interesting. But I reproduced all the artwork. That was something I was really good at. When that was finished, it was just said, hey, you know, listen, this guy, this character is not much. He's not going to say much, but, you know, in the Star Wars deal, if you would like to do it. And we said, sure. <laughs> Are you kidding? We we're starving artists. I mean, we we're 27 years old, putting the shingle out. We were working, and it was just a project. You know, we weren't at a location where all the other artists were. We had our own studio. So that was really important for me, especially. I wanted to stay on my own. I didn't want to join a group. So we did everything in our own studio and delivered three costumes. And that was a forty in 77, so 40-some-odd years ago. Yeah, it was something. That's when I realized that computer graphics there was none you know this, there was no cgi it was pretty much all by hand everything was done paint and or in the studio was laborious work but i decided to go that way afterwards to capture computer graphics and that became really a significant Path for me. Going to the character you mentioned, of course, Boba Fett,
0: The design, I think it is a combination in terms of its staying power of how stark it is in the T visor and, and how formidable he looks and how unique. But then the secondary aspect and, and what obviously you brought so much to is is just the actual the colors and the paint and the history that's behind it and every aspect of his costume, not only the armor but the accoutrements, really kind of telling a story in themselves. And I'd love to delve into Your process, what was initially given to you, and then how you kind of built that into telling its own story.
1: There's a new book out, and it's not the book of Boba Fett, which of course we all know (laughs) is the Disney series. But this is called The Costumes of Boba Fett. Steve Coleman, who's a big fan, a firefighter in Marin, he put together all the different relevant history line of the Boba Fett Costume. It is a collector's item. So it's very expensive, but it does really give you the timeline. So, of course, we know George Lucas came up with the character. Then we know that other people stepped in and did some designs, including Joe Johnston. When the character came to me and to us, it was built in the UK. It came as a shiny white armor, much like the Stormtrooper. You know, we didn't have a lot of ideas about what that was all about. We just knew how it came. So we had a roughed up. That was really. Just from sketches, from pictures, from things like that, we kind of had some ideas. The thing about Steve Coleman, he really racked my brain. So we knew exactly what, where I got every paint all the paint where i went shopping in santa cruz to all the mili- to get all the military badges so we spent a lot of time with me just like oh yeah oh yeah you know having parts of it and then you'd go to a map and i go yeah the book has all of those places too that we went in patches and braiding a horsehair dyes so there was a lot there that had to happen. There were three costumes. They wanted them for parades. They wanted him for the, the film. It really wasn't a costume that was going to have a long life. He died. It was really to be used. Right after they were delivered, they took him into the photography studio. And it's not a big costume, by the way. So when you talk about who's wearing it, he's not a big actor. You know, it's small. So they put the guy in there. He just, you know, went and did every conceivable place he might be, and they took shots of it. You know, it was something of a badge of honor to have worked. We didn't get any credits, some money, but it wasn't something that was starting our career with Lucas. But later on, something happened where I started working again. That vein. You know, we can talk about that anytime you want. People say to me sometimes, wow, you're an artist, you're a musician, you had a radio show. But you know what? There was a thread. There was a huge thread that each thing compiled on the other. And I think if there's anything I could do. Not even to Boba Fett. Yeah, I could talk about Boba Fett all day. There's no problem. But it's really what I've learned from these years of never stopping to work. Not, you know, I've always worked. I've always felt great. There's a combination and there is a reason I do believe. And I think it is attitude. And I think it is about not only luck, but luck is opportunity, meeting, preparedness. So working hard. I mean, it's being focused. It's not just looking at someone else and wishing. It's about you, your passion. What is sparking your life? And going with that and never, ever giving up. And I'm still not giving up.
0: After daydream and as you mentioned, the computer graphics of it all, how did you kind of maybe internally start shifting your focus so that you would have a guiding star in your artistic endeavors? And how did you kind of make sure that you were aligned on the path that you wanted to be on?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, because I've always been an accordion player. I've taught accordion. I played, you know, the appropriate places where an accordion might play. But I was never in love with the way the accordion sometimes sounded. So I was always kind of looking for how could I fit in with what I wanted to do to texture music. And uh, instead of being the romping polka player, which I don't mind doing, I can do them. But so what I did throughout my 20s is I played with all kinds of guitars. I mean, you know, boyfriends who play guitars. I was around musicians always with my accordion. But then I struck up with two sisters who were doing a duet and it just worked and I got to do what I wanted and it really was something that was you know we we opened little fair we had a, a cd out we were playing every weekend it was quite huge in san diego you know by then i was also playing another night with the bluegrass band you know just playing you know, just playing and i realized this, man i was really into this i mean more than i thought art was always there it still is i paint furniture so it's you know, it's just all about communicating, isn't it? You know, how do you communicate, whether it's your voice, your instrument, your hands? When I decided to move to Northern Michigan about 10 years ago, really, the accordion, of course, came with me. And uh, I met another musician, George Powell, mandolin player. And it was like, holy Toledo, where have you been all my life? We just started playing and we never stopped playing. And that is really where, you know, the last 10 years it's been really important. Very important. There's so many
0: aspects of your artistic endeavors and obviously so many that have, you know, lasted 40 years in just uh, the zeitgeist and then also what you're doing now. And maybe we can dive into that and, and talk through how people can experience now.
1: One of the most interesting things is, Brandon, is the life that BoboFed has continued to breathe into the public. And when I see generation after generation, I just traveled with um, mm. Christian Altzman. Yes, yes, I've interviewed him. Yeah. yeah, he's wonderful. We went to Jordan together. Wow. And he was seven when I worked on Boba Fett. And here we are in Jordan, Amman, Jordan, at the premiere of the last Star Wars. And we sat beside each other, and we're watching this whole thing. And it was just like magic. You know, here I am with Baby Yoda's daddy. whatever. Right. And (laughs) here I am. And he's just like, it just, the whole trip was just wonderful. So that's what I get to do now is interface with the artists, the people who have made a difference, who stayed at Lucas or who were at Lucas. Some who stayed for years, some who are coming and going. But they're all interested in the things that now that I can bring to the to the table because of working in travel in the travel talk radio arena, having Jordan as one of my biggest, largest partner, as we got more and more in what we're doing. Jordan doesn't have oil. They just have mud and salt. They have a great love for Americans and they love Western. You know, it's 97% Muslim. I'm there at Christmas. I've been there 11 times. I mean, there are more Christmas trees per square inch and there are here. <laughs> I mean, everybody just intermingles. It's not what we think and what I thought before I went. So now we take people and we show them the film locations because these film locations are all over Jordan and they're over Tunisia. They're all over these different areas. But I have access to Jordan because of the people I've worked with and continue to work with and their enthusiasm to work with all the folks at ILM at uh, Lucas and Disney. So we we continue we stopped in night in 2019 as far as going but uh, we've already got sponsors for our next trip as soon as we decide it's time to do it. So,
0: oh so we'll open it up a-
1: yeah so we're going to open it up yeah. this time to fans that want to come with us. So I think this is going to be a really neat trip, a brand new kind of concept.
0: Wow, 100%. I, you're, this is the first I'm hearing of that. And now I'm like, yeah, okay. Well, it's the
1: first I'm talking about Oh, it,
0: wonderful. Because um, I'm already like, okay, let's <laughs> let's start clearing <laughs> some space on the calendar. Because that, because um, yeah. I, my, my. It'll
1: probably be uh, November, December oh, wonderful, of this year. Oh,
0: wonderful. Because I've always, the uh, uh, Middle East specifically, because my, my mother is from Baghdad, Iraq. And so I've never actually had a chance to go to the Middle East in, in general just because, you know, of everything, of everything happening. And now yes. as things become yes. more accessible, like you mentioned, Tunisia for a while was also similar in the sense that it was very hard to, to travel to. And hopefully as things become, you know, it's, it's now there are opportunities opening back up to, to really explore. Yes. And I think this pandemic has really taught me the importance of... Waiting, not being like, oh, I'll I'll do that later. I'll do that in a few, you know, like because you never.
1: That was one of my mantras: don't wait to travel, don't wait till you're older. You know that that might not happen, and the thing is, I can't wait for you because to experience this, because you will feel the camaraderie that you've never felt. You know, they're gonna love you. They're gonna want to be around you. They're gonna be around them. They've got the Red Sea, the Dead Sea, Wadi Rum. You've got Petra, Amman. Jerash, the Roman, you know, the Roman ruins, it goes on. And that's just Jordan. Israel is another one that's just amazing. Egypt, another one. Morocco, just. Beautiful. Beautiful places. Yeah,
0: Beautiful, beautiful. I uh, had a chance to interview Robert Watts, who was the location manager on the original oh, trilogy. Yeah. And so he, he was the one that was scouting the Tunisias and the Morocco's and the Egypt's and ma- and finding the filming locations for Indy and for Star Wars. And it was very fascinating to kind of yes. delve into those worlds that are pre- depicted in Star Wars feel otherworldly, but still tied so into something familiar. And I think that's one of Oh, the absolutely. Longevity aspects. I mean,
1: they were very familiar until 1940-something when, you know, everybody gets in and mucks things up. But at the same time, we got to work at, you know, building bridges. And that's really the purpose of what I do, building bridges so that we can communicate, you know, whether it's Boba Fett music.
0: Well, uh, speaking on music, how can people listen and experience your music? Because you do it in such an accessible way and everyone listening.
1: We do. It's free. We do three concerts a a week on Twitch, Twitch twitch.tv. It's the the name of our channel and it's only our channel. Uh, It's All Music Considered. And we also own the domain allmusicconsidered.com. So you can go either to allmusicconsidered.com and see where we are locally because we play out or where we are three times a week, three hours a night and on Sundays during the day. But uh, that's uh, uh, twitch.tv forward slash allmusicconsidered.
0: Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and and I- you
1: do not need the .com after twitch.tv. <laughs> now, some people might know Twitch because it's a gaming pro- platform. Have you heard of it? Oh yes,
0: yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, it's it's nice. I think Twitch is its at its most successful when there's a balance of of content that's on there, right? Of of many different creators doing different things. And this again is why uh, I've been so excited to, to watch when I can and to see it because it is using the platform in in ways that aren't just you know screencasting the video games, which I also love to watch as well. So it's kind of it's a nice uh, addition to the to the platform for sure.
1: It is. It's. Uh, we've been on it uh, for. Well, it'll be two years at the end of May, and uh, we got about eight thousand followers, and you know we're just feel- feeling very, very fortunate because musicians don't gather the followers quite like the gamers uh, <laughs> or the revenue. But we do. We're doing really well. I mean, you know, yeah, all over the world they're coming in.
0: We're in kind of a boba fever right now, and and seeing again the longevity of this character, and and seeing now a whole series devoted to him, and getting to delve into his psyche into what happened after Return of the Jedi. And I'd love to maybe hear your thoughts on, on his legacy and the legacy of the armor and, and how that's really become such a core component of of not only Star Wars, but the, the tenants of Star Wars, which are found family and, 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 you know, feeling like you're connected to your roots. And it really is becoming a physical kind of totem of that.
1: Yeah, I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it. You know, I, I signed numerous, you know, autographs every week. You know, I usually say, you know, the force is strong with you. I know it's the opposite of what he goes, but I'm so pleased to see where his character really is going. I mean, I don't want to do any kind of spoiler alerts, but I'm so proud oh (laughs) that's nice that's nice isn't it oh yeah it's just and I still have to catch up a couple places uh I've got a couple holes because I've been so busy but um I do keep abreast I keep listening I keep talking uh the fans are incredible to me they are attentive they're respectful they're just loyal I can't say enough about the Star Wars fans I'm also just so pleased where they're taking him as writers.
0: It's been a a wonderful journey and a journey that that you helped kickstart. And and this conversation was so wonderful. And thank you for your time and for just coming on even just for a moment.
1: My pleasure, anytime. I can't wait to meet you in person.
0: Thank you so much again to Mrs. Doybetter for her stories and her incredible work. To see and hear everything we talked about for yourself, head to her Twitch channel, All Music Considered, for some wonderful music and fun. Link is in the show notes. That's all for this week. Coming up soon are my already recorded interviews with John Whitman, Frank Ordaz, Brian Muir, and many more. And if right now you can leave a five-star rating and review for the show, it means a lot and really helps me out. So until next week, stay tuned, leave that five-star review. May the Force be with you.